Don't forget to promote your own stuff. What's up, BK? It's only an hour. Jeff Howe, Jordan, uh, Jordan Scruggs. Yes, it is his Deion Sanders year that officially starts today. But as BK said, he is working state championships in Arlington. The push to signing day, man. It's, uh, you know, BK, nothing surprises me when it comes to recruiting. You know, every now and then we'll get somebody on the board that they've only followed it for a year or two. And there'll be that one recruitment that what's up CB and everybody in the chat. They'll get that one recruitment. Like, oh, man, I've never seen anything like this. I'm like, dude, this is <laughs> when you've been doing this as long as I have, which what was the first? I think the first signing day I covered in the Texas market was 2009, eight or nine. Like, yeah, yeah, dude, I've seen I've pretty much seen it all, heard it all, experienced it all. So there's nothing that catches me by surprise. But the early signing period, what's changed the game is this frantic rush of Everything happened at once. You've got the portal. You've got trying to keep your own recruits in the fold, trying to finish off the class. And if you're Sark now, you start <laughs> you start practice today getting ready for a freaking national semifinal in the college football playoff. So it's a whole lot of stuff going on at the same time. And, man, I'm not going to say poor, pitiful coaches, but this is the time of year, BK. These guys earn their salary. Right yeah, now, having to juggle all this, dude. It's it shouldn't like the sport be trying to reward its best teams. I mean, it feels like college football playoff yeah. teams get more screwed by this awful calendar that college football has in the month of December than anybody else. You're right. Like Sark and this coaching staff, they've got to recruit because signing days on Wednesday. They've got to hit the portal because that's obviously active right now, and they've got to try to win a national championship. Like. That that's that feels wrong that they've got to do all of those things basically at the same time. And then you you know you, all of that ties into managing your roster. And then you know you get a situation like Malik Murphy where you want him to he he's got to enter the portal because it's what's best for him, right? And and I, I you know does that mean Quinn Ewers is coming back? I've said it before, BK. Dude, Texas wins a national championship and Quinn Ewers is the viewed as the primary reason why, and he balls out. He might not have a reason to come back at that point. His stock might not ever be higher. So, but, you know, as, uh, you know, we mentioned it yesterday in the Insider at Horns 24-7, Malik can't afford to wait around and see what Quinn's going to do or what happens or anything like that. He's got to make the best decision right now for his future with the information he's got, and he made it. The problem is he wants to stay through the end of the college football playoff. Texas wants him to stay through the end of the CFP. But because of the way the calendar is, he can't. Like, he he literally can't do it. So, it's that's the tough part in all this is when you get deals like that. Yeah, and I, I brought this up with Bucky yesterday, Jeff. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Like, the NFL does such a great job of just dominating the sports calendar, right? They've got something going on every month. Wouldn't it make more sense for college football to just, hey, once once January 8th is done, nobody talks about us for a while. Right. Like, why why would you not yeah. open up the portal right after that? So then, oh, headlines in college football. It's still top of mind for a lot of people. Like, it's silly to cram signing day and portal stuff while your sport is still going on because people are going to be talking about college football right now anyways because the yeah. bowl games and the playoff. Why not wait till after the year is over? You can still stay top of mind. This is a business after all. So it's important for business to stay top of mind in the offseason. And it would obviously help out the kids. It help out the coaches. It help out everybody. It just makes too much sense, which I guess is why the NCAA is not going to do it. Right. The portal is one of those things where it kind of is what it is because of the way semesters are structured. Like, yeah. I, I get it. 
what you can do is you can move the early signing day. You can have a signing day. You can have an, if you want an early signing period, dude, have it in, in late July or early August, have it right before you start practice before the high schools start practice. The people that want to sign that, because there's going to be plenty of guys. There are plenty of guys in this Texas class. Like, like Trey Owens is a guy that would have signed in, in that early window. But there are plenty of guys in this class that would have signed. But if you don't want to sign, don't sign and just take it all the way to February. Like you're still recruiting, but there's not this mad rush to get everything done by a deadline. So you, you can take that early signing window off of the coach's plate for sure. Uh, you know, as far as the other stuff goes, I'm with you. It's, it's it's weird to think about competing for a national championship yet being at a competitive disadvantage, but you kind of are. You know, like do you think how much how much effort do you think like Mike Norvell right now is putting into Orange Bowl prep as opposed to getting his roster set for next year? Same for Kirby Smart. Well, I think I think Kirby Smart is not thinking about it at all. I think Mike Norvell, <laughs> because everybody in Florida wants to sue the playoff committee. He's on a mission. I think that's priority number one. We got to beat Georgia. So we have a claim that we should have made the playoff. So normal circumstances, yeah, no. In a game like that, not at all. Georgia, I think, is kind of acting like that. They're more focused on next year. But I could see Florida State being like, we got to win this game against Georgia. Like You remember that that year, the COVID year, where Oklahoma and Florida played in the Cotton Bowl and Oklahoma just curb stomped Florida? And, and Dan, Dan Mullen comes out after the game and says, well, that wasn't really the 2020 Florida team. That team played its last game two weeks ago against Alabama. It's like, no, nah, dude, I'm pretty sure we're still in the same season. So, I mean, if you want to throw in the towel and admit that, that's great. But, you know, yeah. state it before the before the fact. You know? Yeah. Sorry to everybody who bought tickets. Uh, yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. Be like, hey, I'm, the Cotton Bowl is limited attendance anyway this year. Why don't you guys save your money, you know, watch it at home on TV, enjoy your family, because we don't really give a rat's ass about what we do in this game. Remember. <laughs> you so. know, that's the thing about bowl season, BK, is a lot of the the mid-tier, upper-tier bowls, those are the ones that get hurt the most by the opt-outs. A lot of your lower-tier bowls, like, dude, there's going to be some bowl games tomorrow that, are going to be worth watching because a lot of those teams are going to be at full strength. I, I, I don't know. You, you got the, you got the list in front of you. Dude, there's like what, seven, six or seven bowl games tomorrow. Let's see it, it, whether you, whether you can, I mean the celebration bowl, I guess it, it's technically a bowl. That's the swack me game uh, in Atlanta, but yeah, it's, there's going to be some really good football games tomorrow with, with rosters that are still pretty complete. Yeah, because I guess the teams aren't as good and they usually don't have players who are potential high draft picks at the next level. So yeah. guys care about it more. You're right. I mean, uh, none of the games on paper look that great. I guess UCLA, Boise State, and then the Cal-Texas Tech game in Shreveport. Hey. The, the Independence Bowl runs through Lubbock. Don't forget about that. <laughs> uh, those are your, your two kind of power five games but that's eh, football i'll be watching you're right like the, they'll have their full roster so this will be more yeah. of a gauge of of what these teams actually were this year versus you know obviously usc when they play they want to have caleb williams and you're seeing some other big name opt-outs across the country really hard to put a whole lot of stock into games like that i mean the, the, for that independence bowl the, the 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 you know for for ucla the biggest name opt-out is dante moore and there's no guarantee like how much he would have played in the game anyway. Really talented quarterback, but 
Meaning, who's the, been the biggest opt-out for Tech at this point? Is it Jaron Bradley? Maybe, I think, has been their their biggest name opt-out. Yeah, Taj Brooks is. is coming back. You know, I, I'll watch that game. I'll tell you this, man. Of all the backs Texas played this year, Texas played some good runners. I mean, they faced Ollie Gordon. Alabama's got some good backs. Dude, Taj Brooks ought to be damn pleased with the game he put together on Black Friday against Texas. I mean, damn near rushed for 100 yards. He ran tough. He got zero help from his passing game. But of all the backs I saw go against the Texas run defense that, for my money, is the best in college football this year, Taj Brooks Taj Brooks made Texas work to get him on the ground. Yeah, it felt like he broke a tackle every time he got the ball, too. And he still yeah. couldn't crack 100 and still averaged, I think, less than four yards a clip. Like, that's just a testament to Texas's run D. But, yeah, Taj Brooks is a stud. Uh, he and that Wyoming kid, Two best yeah. running backs against Texas this year, and Dylan Gabriel, but I guess he doesn't count. No, Dylan Gabriel doesn't count. the uh, The thing about that Taj Brooks ninety five against this Texas defense, like ninety five, is the equivalent of going for like a buck fifty or two hundred. Like yeah. you feel like you feel like you really accomplished something. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and Ollie Gordon, like the next week, Doak Walker winner couldn't do a damn thing against this Texas defense. So, uh, yeah, Taj Brooks has some juice to him, and. Like, I don't want to say I'm glad we're not playing him next year because I would love to beat the crap out of Texas Tech one more time. But Taj Brooks is one of those guys where it's like, all right, I'm sure the players on this defense aren't too upset that they don't have to try to tackle him anymore. Yeah, but if Tech was on the schedule, BK, you'd have to go to Lubbock next year. You'd have to uh, return that game. So it's probably it's for the best. It was a nice nice ender, I think. I, I've said this before. I'll say it again, man. Of all the trips, there aren't really that many trips in the Big 12 you like. I mean, my favorite trips in the Big 12 were Waco, just because I can go up there, come back, and sleep in my own bed at a reasonable hour. Uh, Houston's another one like that. Easy trip. Fort Worth, easy trip. But like everywhere else in the Big 12 pretty much sucks. As far yeah. as, there's some decent towns. Like, I'll, I'll be honest, man. Like, Morgantown, Morgantown gets a bad rap. Morgantown's not a bad college town. I, I, I was not sure what we were going to talk about today. I did not expect you to defend Morgantown today, Jeff. I, you know, ever since they outlawed couch burning, it's become much more of a hospitable place. Wait. Yeah, you didn't know. Yeah, I heard this a couple years ago. Uh, what West Virginia won a big game, and I was like, oh, man, get ready to burn couches. And somebody let me know that apparently, like, couch burning is, like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty hellacious crime in, in Morgantown, apparently. Oh, that sucks. Like, like I, that was the most appealing part of that city. Was that like the law? The law is on the lookout for like if you wanna if you wanna get caught if you wanna get away with like minor in possession or something like that on a big uh, West Virginia win, you're pretty likely to get away with it. You're likely to get away with your crimes because apparently law enforcement is out actively searching for potential couch burnings. I thought this was America. I mean, what's what's the problem here, Jeff? You can't I'm burn sorry. a couch. This is America. This is America. In Morgantown, you can't burn couches anymore. I don't. I don't know if I want to live in this country, dude. Appar apparently not, man. Um, yeah. Morgan. So Morgantown gets a bad rap. Like Stillwater. I'm sorry, Oklahoma State fans. Stillwater's a dump. It uh, is. Manhattan BK is not. Manhattan itself is not. It's not awful. But dude, the the getting to Manhattan is it's amazing. K State convinces anybody to go to school there. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> like if you if you can't get a direct if you can't get a direct flight into Manhattan, you're you're flying into Kansas City 
and driving three hours out in the middle of freaking, I mean, literally, you're out in the middle of freaking nowhere. It sucks. Yeah, most of Kansas is just not worth going to at all. Like you get you get past a certain point and you keep heading west and it it gets ugly quick. And Manhattan's not even that west and it's and it's bad. I'm not saying this just because you're a you're a Jayhawk sympathizer, but pretty much like the Kansas City metro area, you either go you either go into Kansas City. Or if you're going in the other direction, you go to Lawrence. And, like, Lawrence is not a bad college town. Lawrence is no. what you think of a typical college town. Some nice nice restaurants, good bars, just good people. But, dude, once you get west, headed out of Lawrence, like, what, is Wichita is, like, the next time you see civilization at that yeah. point? Yeah. I mean, you hit Topeka kind of halfway. Topeka, yeah, Ooh. Topeka. That's right. Topeka, Topeka's fine. Topeka's got a lot going for it, relatively speaking. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, you, you start going west past Topeka, down 70, and it's like, oh. Like, what, is, that, what? is that like when Waco gets its next fast food restaurant? Like, hey, they got a Terry's now. We're looking, looking up or whatever. Is, no offense to Terry's, but. Yeah, that is top city right there, as they call it. Yep, that is that's a good comparison. I don't know if they've had uh, as many incidents in Topeka as they've had in Waco over the years. Has but anybody anybody skinned cats in Topeka and thrown them off of a freeway like the uh, baseball team did? I think that's just Tuesday in Topeka, actually. But uh, I don't know if they've had any Koresh stuff or any Bryles type situations going on there. Hey, you want uh, you want an update that just just dropped literally two minutes ago? Mike Roach dropped this on the Horns twenty four seven flagship message board. Xavier fills some the official visit details. He's going to depart for Austin uh, in less than an hour. Uh, at the forty acres, spend his time mostly around campus before dinner tonight. Tomorrow, he's going to watch practice, academic meetings, some time to hang out with the players. Sunday morning, he's going to have breakfast, position meetings. And he'll meet with Sark before leaving Austin around lunchtime. And this is uh, verbatim from Mike Roach. From what I heard, this seems like a bit more of a business-like approach to an official visit instead of the usual top golf going out, riverboat cruise activities uh, that have been common. The Filsomey family isn't treating this like a vacation, so there's no reason for Texas to. Interesting. Okay. I like that mindset. Um it's to the point, Jeff, and you tell me if I'm off on this, but just based on y'all's reporting, like it, it feels like it would be a surprise if Phil Smith did not flip to Texas at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, uh, Double D mentions this in the chat. Everybody that's got a pulse on this thing, they've pretty much changed their their crystal ball predictions to, to a flip pick in favor of Texas at this point. I mean, the writing is on the wall. You've also got the Ty Anthony Smith situation, a linebacker out of, out of, uh, out of Jasper, really, really talented linebacker. Uh, so, you know, the last linebacker like this Jasper had was a kid. BK, you'll probably remember this name. Sean Weatherspoon was a kid out of Jasper. Yeah. Played in Missouri, was I think a three-time All-Big 12 guy, first-round pick of the Falcons. Uh, same kind of measurables as Ty Anthony Smith. You got to find, you got to work really hard to find some. I think uh, Sean Witherspoon was class of 2007 or 8. Or I think he was actually 06. So you got to work a little bit to find some high school film with Sean Witherspoon if you want to make that comp. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ty Anthony Smith, everybody I think is in agreement right now. And that's, I mean, whatever network you're talking about. I know Steve Wiltfong has reported this for us at 24 7 Sports. Hank South has backed this up. Uh, you know, the guys at Texags have mentioned this. The only thing anybody can agree on at this point is that it looks like Ty Anthony Smith is not going to end up at Texas A&M. 
That's what it's looking like right now. Mm. Uh, Jordan, I think, gave everybody a really big hint. If he is, if he, and he's still saying, BK, he's not going to visit Texas this weekend. Right. But if he does end up at Texas, as Jordan said earlier this week, expect Texas to get that national letter of intent. But the school that's coming up at the last minute, and I think this is the one now that oh, it used to be back in the day. It's, it's ironic that it was this school. Florida State back in the day used to make people really nervous. If a kid made a last minute visit to Florida State, it's like, oh, dude, Bobby Bowden gets the last word. And plus, we know, like, you know, Steve Spurrier had the famous Free Shoes University line. Like, kid goes to Florida State at the last minute. Yeah, it's good, you know. Like the one of the one of the recruitments I remember back in the heyday was there was a kid Lorenzo Booker, the running back out of California, was gonna go to Notre Dame and was all set to go to Notre Dame. Visits Florida State at the last minute, ends up signing with Florida State. Wow! So there it was stuff like that would happen all the time. Like Florida State wouldn't really be involved; they'd kind of be on the periphery. And then at the last minute, it's like the hell happened. <laughs> now it's Colorado. It was Coach Prime's alma mater. Now it's the place he's going. Apparently. There's been some buzz with Ty Anthony Smith in Colorado of late. So who knows, man? Who knows what's going on there? But at least it's looking like I think, you know, even folks on the A&M side have kind of conceded at this point that it looks like Ty Anthony Smith won't end up in College Station. Uh, at least great, that's the way things are leaning. Great name, by the way. Like his parents just could decide if they wanted Ty or Anthony so they combined them both to get Ty Anthony. I like that. I dig it. Um, yeah. So you got Xavier Philsmy, you got to Anthony Smith. You know, Texas wrapped up the Kobe Black commitment. Yeah. BK got to remove the gun from Jordan's head. So that was good that our, our <laughs> guy got off the hook in that manner. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just that push to signing day, man. Um, you know, Matthew Golden, uh, the, he's the number one t- uh, portal priority for Texas at, at wide receiver right now. Um, you know, we'll see. He's expected to visit today. As a matter of fact, let me find it real quick, BK. I should have this ready. But uh, the visitor list mm. for to this weekend, uh, Hank Hank South put this up. Your high school targets, Xavier Filsamy, which we just talked about, to Anthony Smith, who, again, is telling people he's not planning on visiting Texas, but if he shows up, expect Texas to win out in that recruitment. And then you've got a kid, Alex Foster, out of the state of Mississippi, who's committed to Baylor, uh, we've got him rated as an edge prospect, but he's got one of those bodies that probably could kick inside. Texas has been kind of keeping him at arm's arm's length. Uh, he's expected to be on campus this weekend. Your portal targets visiting this weekend. You got Andrew Makuba, the safety out of Clemson, the LBJ product. Tyler Barron, uh, the edge rusher out of Tennessee. Now, keep in mind, Trey Moore's already visited. Uh, you've got Tyler Moore, or you got Tyler Barron, excuse me, who's the number 23 overall prospect in the transfer portal rankings at 24-7 sports, the number five ranked edge prospect. Matthew Golden also going to be on campus this week. And like we said, he's the number one wide receiver priority. And wide receivers, there's not a deeper position in the portal than wide receiver. You can go down the list and find you a really good receiver in the portal. Uh, but he's the number one target for Texas. And then your your high school commitments, Jordan Washington, Brandon Baker, Jarrett Gibson, uh, Christian Clark, Parker Livingstone, and Ryan Wingo. As of right now, that's looking like your visitor list. So a lot of guys decided to come this weekend because they get to watch bowl practices and whatnot and can get into meetings and, and all that fun stuff that you can do on an official. So uh, kind of a mix of portal targets, PK high school recruits. Yeah. But this will be the first. This will be the, of, of the end of the cycle. This will be the first big visit weekend for Texas. Let me ask you this. Do you know if coaches prefer 
these visit weekends over the ones that happen during the season? Like, well, there's a home game in town? Yes. Okay, yeah. they just get more time to actually spend with the kids and focus on yeah. them. Yeah, and that's why I like coaches. I know they don't like the timing of it, but the structure of like a summer official visits, it really gives you more time to to be one-on-one with the kid and to really kind of actually sit down and, and be able to chop it up. Because during the weekend, during a game, a game weekend, it's really hard to do that because on Friday when the kid gets there, you're so you're so locked in, right? Trying to make yeah. sure. Cause coaches by habit, they're, they're nervous wrecks the night before a game, making sure you didn't forget anything. And then you got to coach the game on Saturday. And then by the time, you know, Saturday evening or, or Sunday, when you get some time to meet with the kid, you're, you're wrapping up the visit. So, yeah. Yeah, they they much rather prefer, especially right now. If you're Sark, man, you're what you're you're not you're no longer selling hopes and dreams, right? right. You're yeah, selling like, hey, come visit this weekend and watch us get ready to play in the freaking college football playoff. That's what we're practicing for, right? Dude, now. you and I have talked about this. I mean, every everybody who follows Texas, covers Texas, roots for Texas, whatever. We've all known this was coming, right? Like if Texas could ever figure it out on the field in the fall, like this thing would just snowball because Texas has always had a lot of things going for it. The city of Austin, the education you get at the University of Texas, a blue blood program, one of the most historic programs in college football. And like they were still able to recruit pretty damn well. It's like if you start winning games and then now on top of that, you're going to the SEC, which every kid wants to play in the SEC. I mean, this, this chain reaction is just, it keeps going. So, yeah, Texas is – it's nice to be at a point where, you know, we get to turn people away, both in the portal and with high school recruits. Like, Texas literally is going to have its pick of the litter of so many of these guys every year, especially if they keep winning the way that they did this year. Yeah. Let me let me expound on that here in just a sec. But real quick, Jake asked in the chat, any chance at McKinley? Uh, that'd be Dominic McKinley, the defensive tackle out of Louisiana. At the very least, Jake, we know he's going to push – He's pushed his signing back to February. He's already said he's going to wait till February to sign. So if you're Texas, you've got time to work on that. The reason why BK, I've been so staunch on that is, you know, I'm of the age now when I was getting into high school was when, as a matter of fact, yeah, my freshman year of high school was the football season when Ricky won the Heisman. It was Mac Brown's first year. Ricky wins the Heisman. And my whole life growing up to that point, Texas, Texas really wasn't the cool school to go to. Like they had won a Big 12 championship. They had won the last Southwest Conference championship. But Texas, you didn't look, you, you didn't view Texas the same way you viewed Florida State or Miami or Michigan or some of these other schools. But the stars aligned and everything got in the right place at the right time that between them winning nine games, Ricky winning the Heisman. Mac just bringing that that just kind of swagger to Texas and his ability to recruit at that point was lights out. To see the caliber of guys Texas started getting, it was like for me at that point, BK was like, oh my God, like dude, Texas really, like all the people that were telling me about what Texas was in the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s, I started to see that. I'm like, oh my gosh, like do they really can be like the way I view Miami or Florida State or at the time, it was like UCLA or Nebraska. Like, Texas can be one of those kind of programs. Yeah. And we saw them get Chris Sims and Corey Redding and Roy Williams and Cedric Benson, Derek Johnson, Vince Young. Like, these guys were national recruits. Could have gone anywhere in the country. And for Texas to start getting those guys, like, dude, this is, this is everything you thought it could be and more. And, you know, for somebody like you, BK, when you <laughs> – what what was your freshman year at Texas? What year was it? Uh, 2012. Right. 
So you didn't really get to enjoy that time. It's like you being a Cowboys fan. You didn't really get to enjoy it. I I got to enjoy it a little bit, but not as much as I really wanted to because I was in elementary school when they were winning Super Bowls. But there's a generation of Texas fans now that doesn't know what that's like to see this program make that leap into being a national championship contender. And it's awesome to experience. And you're, Dude, if you're a Texas fan, if you're in your, your you know, your teens to your early 20s, you're right in the middle of it right now. You're getting to see what that looks like. And it's like, man, Texas can go get this caliber guy. Yeah, they can. When you've got a coach that's got his you know what together the way Sark does, it can happen. And yeah. it's it's really freaking fun to watch. That's really well said, Jeff. And yeah, like, I, look, my parents went to Texas. I was going to be a Longhorn fan regardless. But like growing up as a kid, it was, you know, the 2000s, right? Winning 10 games every year, you know, playing for national championships, winning a national championship. Like it was easy to be a yeah. Texas fan. It was easy to buy in. And now it hasn't been. I mean, the last 10 years, it has not been easy to be a Texas fan. Obviously, there are guys who are going to stick with Texas because that's their team. That's where they went to school. But if you're a kid, you want to be cool as a kid, man. Yeah. Like, I, like I had a Michael Victor as a kid. Why? Because dogfighting. No, this was all before that because he was cool. Like, I didn't give a shit about the Falcons. He was cool. You see all these kids with Steph Curry jerseys. Why? Because Steph is cool and he's yeah. winning. He's on a team that's winning and he's fun to watch. Like, when you're a kid, you want to be cool. It used to be cool to wear Texas stuff to school when I was yeah. a kid. The last 10 years, it's like, I, you're a Texas fan? Sorry. It's going to be cool yeah. for these kids who a lot of them, I mean, a lot of the recruits have not seen Texas compete at the national level. No. For them to actually see this now and hopefully see this for years to come, it's going to make Texas cool again. And yeah, it's it's really going to help this thing take off to where this won't be an anomaly. This will right. be the norm around here. This doesn't, you know, in, in the moment, I... And I don't know if you did too, BK. Yeah, after Texas, it's hard to believe we're, we're five years removed from it because in some way it seems like, it does seem like five years ago. In some way it seems like 50 years ago when Texas beat Georgia in that Sugar Bowl. I didn't drink the Kool-Aid, man. I, I filled a, you know, when you go to Quick Trip and they've got like the, what's the absurdly large size, like the extra large drink that's like the 64 ounce, you know, yeah. that, nobody, that nobody gets. Um I, I filled one of those with Kool-Aid and just chugged it, man. I, I thought, man, for sure. I was like, dude, this is the turnaround. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. And, like, the Tom Herman era, it it peaked in the minute right before third and 17 against LSU. Like, mm-hmm. the right before that snap, if, if you stop LSU, I, I say that's the moment everything changed. Because think about if they make that stop, like, how different things could have been not just for Tom Herman for Texas, but for LSU and Ed Orgeron and Joe Burrow, like it, a lot changed during that one play. And in hindsight, it was like they had a chance to get it going in that direction, but that that staff took their foot off the gas. And I think I told you this story on here, like I, you know, after the Alamo Bowl in in nineteen where they beat Utah. And by that point, we'd already gone through the Sugar Bowl experience. Whether you cover it, you're like, I can't buy into this. Yeah, they beat Utah. Who cares, right? Like when yeah. Tyler Huntley's telling you, oh, we've, we were thinking of it as a vacation. Like, all right, yeah, that's okay. We're, we're not, we're just not even, you won the game great, end of the year strong, fine. But I remember I was in, uh, ended up, you know, hanging out with some of the, the coaches that night. And there were coaches who were, were leaving. They were, they'd already known their fate. They were, they were going to get fired. They'd already been fired or, or whatever. And, you know, they closed the bar down and everybody's kind of going their separate ways. And the coach kind of leaned into me and he said, you know, he said, whatever you guys want to write about us. He said, whatever you want to write or say, he's like, it's completely fair. I'm like, coach, you know, I've been fair. He's like, no, he's like, we had a chance. 
to do what we said we could do. He's like, and we effed it up. Plain and simple. I'm like, it's kind of kind of harsh to to be able to to self critique, you know, do a self critique like that in the moment. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, it really it really was. But you know, that's the that's the closest BK that Texas has been to to really feeling like you were on the verge of getting it turned around. And yeah, you know what? Know at that point, that uh, what twelve months later, a little over twelve months later, Tom Herman's fired and Sark is hired. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I drank the Kool Aid after that last sugar. Bowl. I'm sorry, that would be 24 months later. 24 months later, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I drank the Kool Aid, man. I mean, I was also blackout drunk. I think at the game on Pat O'Brien's hurricane. So I don't know if that's Kool Aid, but uh, yeah, I mean, how could you have not been bought in? Like, you know, year two, you had that year two jump. The good coaches, and I thought Tom Herman was a good coach. I was pumped about the hire. I thought he'd work. So I think that contributed to why I was so excited about that Sugar Bowl when it's like, I thought this guy would work, and boom, 10 wins year two, just beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, played for a Big 12 championship, lost, but the team we lost to, we beat in the regular year. It's Oklahoma. Like, we're we're there. We're there. And then it's just, you're right. Like, the staff took its foot off the gas. You know, Sam Ellinger saying what he said, like, the, the, the coaches believed it. They yeah. believed it. And it's okay for the fans to believe it. That's fine. We got hoodwinked. It sucks. It's okay for us to believe it. It's not okay for coaches to ever get complacent. And I love what Sark's talked about, right? He's like, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. You don't yeah. stay the same. So, like, the, Sark realizes this is coming from Nick Saban and coming from Pete Carroll. Like, those guys were dynastic coaches. At USC, with what Carroll did with Saban, still doing what he's doing at Alabama. Like, those guys, they don't get the success flu. They have the success and they realize like, ah, oh, it's cool. Winning championships. That's great. But the work doesn't stop. Like you can never let up. Otherwise you're going to fall and you're going to fall hard. Tom Herman didn't realize that. Sark, at least he says it. We'll see if he's about it. I think he will be. But he, yeah. he seems to realize the importance of like, hey, this, this can't be a one-off. Like we've got to make sure we work even harder next year to ensure that we're back here next year. And it's not the, it's not that I, um, it's not that I see cracks in the foundation. That's not the term that I want to, you know, that it sounds like I'm using, but now like, you know, you look at Jeff Choate getting the Nevada job and, and Oh, by the way, of all the stuff we talked about earlier, Sark's got to hire a new linebackers coach. And that job is probably coming with the code DC tag attached to it too. (laughs) So you got, you got that to do also, but you know, one of the things that's a sign of success, man, at some point, some of your coaches are going to start getting, you know, really good job opportunities. Like I, there's some guys on this staff, like, like PK, I think Pete Kwiatkowski at this point, BK, I think he's probably like a, you know, like a Bud Foster or a Mickey Andrews, not to say he's like at that level of like all time elite, great defensive coordinators. But I think he's one of those guys that I don't know that he wants to be a head coach. I think he's cool leading a defense, being a defensive coordinator and, and making the kind of money he is as a defensive coordinator. I think yeah. he's fine like that. I don't think Bo Davis wants to go from position coach to coordinator. Like, I think Bo Davis is one of those guys that can be a defensive line coach and be your defensive line coach for a really long time and be really good at it. But you're going to have other guys on this staff like, you know, Jeff Banks is going to at some point get a head coaching opportunity. Tashard Choice, Tashard Choice might be one of those guys that goes from position coach to head coach. Like, I, he might just bypass the coordinator gig altogether. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kyle Flood's been a college head coach. Does Kyle Flood get that itch to maybe want to go back to the Northeast somewhere and and try it again? Because he wasn't terrible at Rutgers, like it fell off, but he had some success at Rutgers, and we know that's a 
that's a really, really hard place to win anyway. So at some point, you're going to have more guys on your staff that get head coaching opportunities. And the one thing I really dig about Sark, he did a really good job putting together the initial staff. The, 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 one, the one error he made got corrected where we could tell like Andre Coleman just wasn't working and recruiting was all kinds of wonky. And, you know, he and Sark, it just didn't seem like, I'm not saying Andre Coleman's a bad coach. He and Sark just weren't on the same page. It just seemed like they weren't on the same page. Yeah. But, you know, he got rid of Andre Coleman. They parted ways. He hired Brennan Merriam. And now he's got Chris Jackson, a guy that feels feels like is going to hang around for a little bit. Sark has made really good hires. Like, you lose Stan Drayton, replace him with the shard choice. So I trust Sark in the hiring process. He, like I said, he did a really good job putting together the initial staff. His replacement hires to this point have been good. If he can continue that that's just as big a part as managing the portal and recruiting and building a roster as anything to your success. It's amazing. BK part of this player development we've seen at Texas. It's amazing. What happens? We haven't seen this at Texas in a long time. When you number one, hire good coaches two, allow those coaches, the freedom to do the job you hired them to do. It's amazing. What can happen to your players that all of yeah. a sudden, Hey man, two, three years into this, we've got better football players than we had when we started because they got consistent coaching in, in the same systems with the same strength and conditioning program. Like it's, it's Texas is one of those jobs that it shouldn't be as hard as other guys have made it. Yeah. You know, you're right. I mean, obviously there's a lot that goes into being the head coach here that doesn't go into being the head coach at other schools, but yeah. It's still, you also have a lot of resources at your disposal that you don't have at other places. So if you know what you're doing, it shouldn't be that hard. And I always, I always kind of felt bad for guys like you and just guys who, you know, worked for uh, recruiting ranking sites. I know that's, that's not your specialty at Horns 24 seven, but you're obviously associated with that and that system. I was, in, I was in on the rankings, the rankings part of it at one time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess then you, you were a part of this then like, you know, it's like, Oh man, like, the, the rankings just keep getting it wrong. Like these Texas players, they saw like, what do these recruiting rankers know? They don't know shit. It's like, Oh dude, this is clearly Texas. Like all of the guys ranked around yeah. these five stars are going elsewhere and having success. They're not missing on every Texas player. It's just Texas is not developing talent. And it's yeah. like, Oh yeah, now we're learning. Oh no, the sites were, were never wrong. Like, look, they're, they're going to miss a couple every year. Everybody is Alabama's mm -hmm. going to whiff on five stars, Ohio state, whatever it happens. Yeah. But like clearly the issue at Texas was development. And like you're saying, Jeff, now you're seeing when guys get developed, they get consistency within the program. Uh, it leads to this type of success on the field. So that they're getting it right, which is good. Like at some <laughs> At some point, it's like, man, you guys have been wrong for a decade. Okay, what's been the common denominator here? These guys are going to Texas, and they're not getting better. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a, it's it, Texas, I think the fan base, and that's why I'm happy Texas fans are getting to go through this, because if you've taken this ride with us at Horns 24-7, you've gotten slapped in the face with some harsh realities. You know, like when when Tom got the job, it was at that point that I think people realized what I had been telling them where there was a time BK where I'm like, dude, Iowa state and Kansas have better football facilities than Texas. No, they don't. No, they don't. I'm like, yeah, they do mm. because their stuff wasn't built in 2008 and nobody's touched it since. So yeah, there was a lot of work to be done on facilities and infrastructure. They let a lot of stuff go. And 
you know, the the same thing happened too with player development. Like the the first guy that I, I that I remember, and I've said his name, and I'm sure he doesn't care at this point. He's gone on to bigger and better. Miles Garrett was the first dude that told me, like, when he eliminated Texas from his recruitment, I said, you know, what, what in the end, what was it that, you know, you, why you decided to move on from Texas? He's like, honestly, he's like, I just see a lot of really good players that go there and they don't get better. They get worse. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Like, yeah. you can't, you can't argue, you couldn't argue with it at that point. I mean, and this was, worse. this was a decade ago. I know. Yeah. It's gotten worse. Too. Yeah. This was, this was in the winter of 2013 and this yeah. was a decade ago. So yeah. And, and it got worse from there, but you know, the, we might be getting ready BK for a 2024 draft where we see the highest number of draft picks Texas has had since the Mac Brown heyday. Yeah. And I'm talking like, no, I'm not talking like you get a couple guys. I'm talking like you get yeah. some, some top, some first rounders, top 100 guys, like, the draft could be really, really good for Texas in 2024. Yeah. I um I was looking at Jordan Reed, who works for ESPN. He's a draft guy there. Good dude, does great work. He he dropped his like newest big board top 50 prospects mm-hmm. in this draft. Five Longhorns in there in the top 50. Like there have been years. Yes, you got there. you probably got Tavondre Sweat. T Sweat's in there. Let me pull up and find the exact rankings here. But T Sweat definitely in there. Sweat, Worthy, and Mitchell for sure, I think, would be in there. Probably Jatavian yeah. Sanders, I think, would be a top 50 guy. Yep. Um, who would be the other? Maybe Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there have been years where Texas hasn't had one player in the top 50. There have been years where, like, you couldn't even make an argument for Texas to have one player in the top 50 tell top 100 draft guys in a certain class and now they've got five in the top 50 that's that's a sign of uh the times are changing as bob dylan would say like i i felt bad over the years for like a guy like hassan ridgeway like the year he came out because he came out a year early and it's it's his draft you know he's going through the draft process and we knew we knew ridgeway was going to get drafted but he's at the combine and all the questions he's being asked is how sad is it that you're the only Texas guy at the combine? <laughs> like this is the, the moment these dudes have waited their entire football careers for and All, all I'm being asked is dude, why does your alma mater suck so bad at producing yeah. NFL prospects? He's like, yeah, I'm gone. I don't want to talk about that anymore. <laughs> I had to deal with that shit the last four years. Can you, can we talk about something else? Can we talk about me? Please. Yeah. Um, oh, man. man, it's 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 refreshing. It's refreshing to see Texas in this position where we can talk about him getting ready for a college football playoff. Yeah. Um, BK, I noticed uh, we've got a guy in the chat. I think it's Greg in the chat who keeps bringing up the Alamo Bowl mm. last year. And look, bring up the Alamo Bowl, I guess, if you if you want to. Um, but I am going to look up something here real quick. One of the things that really concerns people, uh, really concerns people about the Alamo Bowl is Texas defending the deep ball. And if you look last year at the bowl game, uh, let me see if I can find this on a, in a single game. Um, it's not going to show it to me. But I think Michael Penix on, as a matter of fact, just give me a sec, BK. I'll be able to pull this up. Okay. Texas yeah. actually did a really good job defending the deep ball against Michael. Now, is the is the is the Washington pass game better than it was a year ago? Yeah. Has, has Michael Penix improved? Is he a better quarterback? 
than he was a year ago. Yeah, it's a Maxwell Award winner, Heisman runner-up. But I was looking at, uh, you know, the quarterbacks Texas has faced this year. Like, who's throwing the most deep balls? Like, Jalen Milrow has thrown, like, 54. According to this, according to Pro Football Focus, Jalen Milrow's thrown the most deep balls of any deep, of any quarterback Texas has played. He's thrown 54 passes that have gone 20-plus in the air. Michael Penix has thrown 100. He's thrown 100 deep balls this year. Like, he's – it's like – it's like 30, 30, 35 more than the next guy. And his accuracy rate on the deep ball is really impressive. But you look last year, BK, at Michael Penix on passes of 20 yards or more down the field in that Alamo Bowl. He was one for 10, completed a 35-yarder early in the game and misfired on his next nine. Mm. You look at intermediate passes, passes that travel 10 to 19 yards in the air, four for 11. So any ball Michael Penix threw in that Alamo Bowl last year that went more than 10 yards in the air, he was 5 of 21. One touchdown, one interception. Texas did a really good job defending him last year. Now, the problem was Washington adjusted. You look in the short passing game, you know, from the line of scrimmage up to up to 9 yards, 16 uh, 16 of 18, 11 for 11, basically throwing screen passes, anything that was behind the line of scrimmage. So it was Washington's, you know, Washington's ability to make plays in space, utilize their short game that that allowed them to move the ball last year. And dude, I don't care who you're playing. Anytime you go 11 for 20 on third down, like you're going to win a lot of football games. That was the big problem for Texas last year. It wasn't the deep ball. They couldn't get Washington off the field. Yeah. They extended some drives. And even, you know, BK, you can, refresh, you can refresh my memory. And I think I've got the box score here somewhere. If not, I'll pull it up. But I think there was a drive. I want to say there was a drive in the fourth quarter of that game where it was like an 11 play drive and it took like seven minutes off the clock and, but they didn't score. They didn't score, but they converted third downs, but man, they ate so much time off the clock that that's why Texas ran out of time at the end. But here it is right here. Yeah. In the fourth quarter, it was a 13 play, was it 13 play 38 yard drive that took five and a half minutes off the clock and they had a 10 point lead at that point. So you didn't score, but you accomplished the job. Like you left Texas pretty much with no time. Yeah. So go ahead. BK. Yeah, I was going to say to follow up on that, like the drive chart for Texas, Washington, Washington had 10 play 88 yard drive, touchdown drive, 16 play 74 yard field goal drive, 13 play 75 yard touchdown drive, 14 play 90 yard touchdown drive, and then, yeah, that 13-play, 38-yard turnover on downs. They didn't even score, like you said. But, like, yeah, that was the issue. Texas just could not get off the field at all. So, I mean, obviously you want to defend the explosive play. Texas did that. It gave them a chance. It's why the game didn't get out of hand. But also, like we saw in Lubbock last year, if you just don't get stops on those money downs, then you're yeah. going to lose. And that's, that's what happened. That was their pro. That, that was kind of the Achilles' heel for Texas last year was just the inability to get off the field and and being in the press box for that game, BK, it was frustrating because, you know, what we it, it's it's really nice to follow the the trajectory, kind of the arc of, of Sark and Quinn Ewers in this offense because last year we talked about the issue was man they forced too many deep balls and they were trying to hit the home run and it was at a detriment to the offense, but that the second half of that bowl game was one where we finally saw you know what. Man, if they're going to give us the short game the entire way, if they're going to give us intermediate passes like, you know, your your six to eight yard comebacks, like stuff in the flat, like take that. Like, 
you're getting six to eight yard chunks. You're moving the football. You're not getting the, the big shot, but you're moving the football. And now you're getting some momentum. Now your Sark's getting more confident as a play caller. Quinn's getting more confidence as a quarterback. And we saw Texas, they'd be able to move the ball and do some things. But when they had that, watching that five and a half minute drive, even though it's a turnover and downs, you're like, Texas is moving the ball. But, you know, the combination of not being able to take the deep shot, yes, they're taking what the defense is giving them. Like, they're not going to have enough time to come back. Yeah. Even if they're putting the ball in the end zone. The difference this year, BK, is, you know, you can, we can break down the pass defenses. Texas is the second best third down defense in the country. And they've been really good getting off the field this year. And part of the reason why they've been really good is, they're able to get home. Like last year, they were one of the best pressure defenses in the country. It just didn't result in sacks. Now you're able to get to the quarterback, and now you're able to that pressure that pressure generated. Now it's turning into sacks. Yeah, it's turning into explosive plays. It's turning into errant passes. It's turning into turnovers for your defense. So that difference right there is the big difference between the Texas defense last year and the Texas defense this year. Well, that's got to be the key for Texas, right? Obviously, third downs, but getting pressure on Michael Penix Jr. Like, this secondary is just not good enough to cover really any receivers, but especially those receivers and that passing game. Like, you've got to you've got to win up front, but you also have to bring blitzers, man. Otherwise, this – yeah, this like I could see this game getting out of hand, really, if Texas is passive defensively. And they can't get pressure on Michael Penix, then the back end just it isn't good enough to slow down what Washington's got. Yeah, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to find Penix's numbers from last year in the bowl game. Okay, <laughs> what yeah. Pro Football Focus defines as under pressure throws. He was two for twelve. Wow, on, on thirteen dropbacks on throws that they defined as him being under pressure. Uh, you know, there you go. Yeah, when when blitzed, fourteen for twenty two. Actually, Texas had more success against him last year when they didn't blitz. When they played coverage, uh, completion percentage when uh, when not blitz was fifty four point five percent yards per attempt. Not even five; it was four point seven yards per attempt. One touchdown, one pick. So, yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm with you, BK. Like th- this Washington pass game is the Texas defensively in the front better than they were last year. The edge edge play has been so much better. Blitzes have been better when they've dialed them up. They've been timed right. Like, this is a defense. You've got guys like Ford and Sweat and Murphy uh, and even like a guy like Baron Sorrell. They've been running this defense so long. They're comfortable with it. They understand exactly what PK wants. That's a really great benefit of having a veteran defense. And then you can bring in guys like Anthony Hill or Mo Blackwell in your specialty packages that can rush the quarterback, especially Hill, maybe more so than Blackwell. Blackwell can allow you just to have, basically it's adding another defensive back onto the field. You know, Jaday Barron can be a good blitzer. Ryan Watts can be a good blitzer. Uh, but calling your spots with your blitzes is something that they've done really well. Um, deciding when they want to blitz, when they want to play coverage. I think one of the big things is, and in, this to me is going to be the deal to see how much Texas does this. Can you game plan? Can you watch film? Can you anticipate tendency well enough to know, okay, they want to go to the kind of their shorter stuff right here. This is when we can get up close and play tighter coverage, dare I say, start to play some bump and run type stuff and be physical with them at the line of scrimmage. Like that, the, Texas will do that. Like Ryan Watts, that's that's what he does, right? Yeah. Into the boundary, the short side of the field. He wants to get on you, wants to get his hands on you, jam you, to disrupt your route. But the fact that we've seen Manny Muhammad be able to play that kind of coverage on the field side, we've seen Terrence Brooks be able to do that at times. It's almost like, I've said this on a couple other platforms. It's like the, the light bulb went off for Terry Joseph. It's like, you know what? Um, as, as good as we are on the interior, that should give us some time to recover. So we, we you know, we could play a little more 
aggressive in coverage and the the guys up front can erase some of our mistakes. I'm yeah. talking to a guy, you know, you talk with guys like a guy like Rod Babers who played who played with Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton, and he'll tell you, like, dude, it made your life so much easier, like playing with two guys that could get to the quarterback on every single play. If guys have played with Roy Miller and Lamar Houston, yeah, Texas had some dogs in the secondary at that point, but you could be more aggressive and play more man coverage when you know, like, dude, the, the interior pass rush is gonna be hell on earth for that quarterback all day. Yeah. So it, it just seems like the light bulb's going off for Terry Joseph. But by the way, the reason I mentioned Terry Joseph, I'm not trying to dog Terry Joseph. He does put together the game plan on the back end as defensive pass coordinator, pass game coordinator. That's part of his job is to, to put everything together on the back end week by week. Yeah. Well, let me go side pod here, right? We're all in on the Texas Washington conversation, but side pod for a second. Um, Terry Joseph, he'll be here next year, right? Blake Gideon. He'll be here next year, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. I know a lot of Texas fans are not thrilled with the jobs that those guys have done. I mean, that's the biggest weakness for Texas, 85th passing defense in the country. Uh, but on the other hand, Texas is 12-1. and one. They won the Big 12. They're playing in the playoff. I'm cool with those guys coming back, but I think some Texas fans are like maybe hopeful that Sark would make a move after this year. You don't think it happens? No, and here's the difference, though. Here's the difference. When you're third in the country against the run, when you're tied for third in the country in the red zone, and like I said, you're third, you're third in the country on third down, when you are elite, when you're elite against the run on third down and in the red zone, dude, you can afford in some respects. Like, you're facing some good offenses that have good weapons that can move the football. Like, at some point, We've talked about it all year, BK, like the path of least resistance against this Texas defense has, has been the pass game. Um, but, you know, if you want to try to move the ball against Texas, like at some point you can't just rely on deep shot to try to move the football. Uh, and if you're going to live in third and, you know, third and seven plus, third and eight plus all day, then, you know, good luck, I guess. It's kind of yeah. the go with God game plan at that point. Yeah, you know, like – Oklahoma State and Texas Tech kind of did the same thing. I, I, I'm i not expecting Kalen DeBoer to do this because this is just, it's not the nature of his offense and he's got a much better quarterback than either of those two teams had. But I was really hoping like, surely Texas Tech's not just going to try to line up and play Texas in a phone booth. That's what they did. Yeah. And, and they lost that game in a landslide. So the next week I'm like, surely Mike Gundy's not going to try to line up and play Texas in a phone booth. And that's what he did. And I lost that game in the landslide. Like, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why teams kept trying to run at Texas. The only team that did it with any consistency was Oklahoma. And that was just like, go look how much design quarterback runs Oklahoma ran against Texas. Go look how much they did it the rest of the year. And he, yeah. It was an ab. I mean, yeah, it's, you're going to find it was an abnormal amount against Texas because they realized, you know what? It's the only way we're going to be able to move the football. Yep. is by getting Dylan Gabriel on the move. Either design draws or just, hey, dude, if you're driving back and everybody's covered and you see nothing but 30 yards of grass in front of you, put the ball under your arm and run. Like, that's going to be a much better way of of getting a first down. Yeah. So yeah. nobody's yeah. – and, and you know what? As good as Washington's run game is, Washington doesn't have a bad run game. If Kalen DeBoer wants to try to line up and play Texas in a phone booth, good luck because you're not going to be able to do it. I pray every night that that's what he tries to do. I mean, honestly, like that's, that's it. Dude, that's why. That's why I. If Texas wins this game, yeah. whether it's Alabama, who they've already beat this year, and granted, Alabama's better, but at least 
Nobody knows a Nick Saban game plan better than a guy who's been in the office game planning with Nick Saban, like Sarge. And and plus, you know, Saban in a, in a rematch, you, you'd have to think that favors him in some way. But at least you're there. You give yourself a chance. As weird as it sounds, I think the of the of the three other teams in the playoff, I think the best matchup for Texas is Michigan. Mm. Because Jim Harbaugh wants to play. Like, that's what he wants to do. He wants to play you in a phone booth. Yeah. And nobody's been able to do it. Now, can Michigan do it at a better level than everybody else Texas has played? Yeah. Michigan's offensive line and their run game is that good. But are they just going to be able to just line up and run the ball, you know, do to Texas what they did to Penn State and run it, you know, 32 straight times in the game? No. No. Michigan wouldn't be able to do that against Texas. Yeah. Michigan's defense worries me a little bit because they're they're awesome. But I'm yeah. not worried about Michigan's offense against Texas if that were no. to be the matchup. Like, yeah, Washington. I mean, I've said it from the jump. Like, Washington scares me more than either of the other teams in the playoff just because of the matchups. Like, Washington has the least talented roster of yeah. four teams. Uh, no disrespect to Kalen DeBoer, but he's not Nick Saban. And I think he's Jim Harbaugh as a coach. Uh, so those teams like have better coaches than either Texas or Washington, probably. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's the matchup, fair. the fact that, you know, it's the number one passing offense in the country and you've got 3000 yard receivers and Heisman runner up. It's just the matchup is what is what freaks me out the most. But yeah, I'd, I'd feel like if Texas gets by Washington on Jan one, they've got a very, very good shot to win this whole damn thing on Jan eight. I, it, it feels like. <laughs> I feel like we're at the same place we were in the basket with the with the basketball team in the spring, BK. Like, I I had a lot of fun covering that basketball team. I really did last year. Like, it was just a good group of dudes, and and uh, I just really like being around that team. But once they beat Xavier, you're like, dude, if they beat Miami, you're going to the Final Four in Houston, partisan crowd. Like, dude, everything's set up for you, and. Nobody had the lead against Miami. Nobody was higher than a four seed. Also, like all the other top teams just kept losing. And it's like, yeah. Oh, shit. Like this is, I've heard, I've heard some of my colleagues at 24-7 and CBS say this, and I haven't disagreed with them. The the Sugar Bowl might, for all intents and purposes, be your national championship game. Like I think whoever wins the Sugar Bowl, I think that's who's winning the, I think that's who's winning the college football playoff. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I like. I, I feel better about saying that if Texas wins than I do if Washington wins. No, I think too. I think. I think if if Washington wins the game, I I would take Washington over Alabama or Michigan. Okay, interesting. Because like you said, yeah. as good as good as Michigan's defense is, you haven't faced a pass game like you're going to see from Washington. They haven't seen that anyway. It's true. So. It'll be fun. When are you headed out there? Uh, actually. Speaking of lower tier bowls, and this is not a lower tier bowl, this should this should have got moved up to New Year's Six status. I'm going to what's power ranked as number two on my rankings of best bowl games. I will be close to your former stomping grounds, BK, in the Highland Park SMU area on December 26th for the first responder bowl between Rice and the Texas State Bobcats. Yes, sir. The first, the first FBS bowl game. You think I wasn't gonna miss that? Um, I, I feel kind of bad for you guys, man. Like, why? First ever bowl game. Tremendous and accomplishment. And it's and at it's SMU. A, yeah. No, it's against it's against Rice. 
Oh, <laughs> like, like, look, it's cool for Rice and Mike Bloomgren, good dude, happy for them to get to a bowl game. But, like, if you beat Rice, you can't brag about that, can you? Yeah, you can because a Texas State getting to eight wins in an FBS season. Yeah. Like, I don't know if Everett Withers won eight games the entire time he was the head coach at Texas State. You could have given him eight years, and I don't know if he would have gotten <laughs> to, to eight wins, man. Did Jake Spavinall win eight games his entire time he was there? I don't know, man. It's been it's been some rough years, BK. I, w- I wish y'all got to play like Texas Tech or somebody like that, you know, to where it's like you beat them, then it's like, oh, shit, we beat a Big 12 team and won eight games. Now it's like oh, we beat and, Rice. And as much as I like Joey McGuire, you bet your ass at that point I'd be talking about everything running through San Marcos. <laughs> Awesome. Trey, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your hour with BK. What the hell's going on here? This guy's about to be on hour five straight of talking and he's got no voice left. Holy shit. This is this is the Jordan flu game here. I had pizza. And I lost a shit ton of money gambling and I'm hungover, but we're calling it a flu. Okay. So Can I have some Waffle House sent to your, your, uh, your abode? Ooh. Of course, I'll never say no to that anytime. <laughs> Bring it over. All right. Good to see you guys.